our business right now, I'm looking at my pipeline on my board in front of me right now. And I would say it has never been more full. And just yesterday afternoon, um, I got three more opportunities, which are all well over a million dollars. So our business is going crazy with Nutanix. Welcome to Inside Scoop with Sean Emery. Every week we are examining something new, bringing you closer to companies, sectors, and themes. This recording should not be construed as a substitute for personalized individual advice from Avery and Company or any guests on the show. This is for educational purposes only and not intended to make an offer or solicitation for any companies or securities mentioned. With that, let's get on with the episode. Tim Joyce, Roundstone Solutions. You were named uh, to the Inc. 5000 list. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you. That was a couple of years ago now, but uh, we, we, we would have been named move. again. We, we just didn't bother applying for it this year. There we grew go. quite a bit in the last two years. We would have still been on it. So, Cool. Well, I, uh, maybe it's the 500 list at some point, but I always like to start <laughs> with an introduction. You know, we've had you on the podcast before. Um, last time we had you was chaos in, in 2020. And, and, uh, in some, in some ways you could say there's a, a little bit of more chaos out there. So you are our emergency podcast call. Um, <laughs> and just, yeah, I mean, anyone that uh, didn't listen to you last time, I think, uh, uh, just give us a little background about yourself and, and kind of where you lay. Yeah, sure. So we, uh, I have a company here in Northern California that focuses primarily on Nutanix business. So been doing this a long time. About uh, eight or nine years ago, I came across Nutanix, found that it was, in my opinion, one of the better technologies I'd ever been in, uh, been exposed to. And so I decided to bet my business on Nutanix. So you know, many people thought that wasn't a smart move, but I went all in on Nutanix and it's proven for me and my business to be a good move. Um, we are very well versed in Nutanix. That's what we go to market with every day. And we stay very close to what's happening at Nutanix. So, um, you know, things like, you know, the results yesterday, you know, we've already kind of had a hit, a hint as to what was happening and so on. So um, doesn't make me at all concerned about Nutanix. As a matter of fact, if you're a tech firm right now, probably the smart thing to do is to raise the flag and say, hey, supply chain issues are going to hurt us because, um, you know, whether they do or not, it seems like a, a free pass right now. So I think our, our goal, as always, is to separate kind of like noise from reality, understanding what is happening short term, but really thinking more than a quarter out engage overall trajectory here. Um, mm-hmm. Let me start with just what are the trends in IT infrastructure? You know, you wrote a blog post questioning moves towards the public cloud and whether it makes sense for everybody. I know Andreessen Horowitz, who invests heavily in the cloud, actually knocked down the cost benefits of public clouds also, and they had a piece as well. So you're in good company there. We saw this this week, Zoom, uh, seeing their Margins actually improved because of their shift away from public cloud. Dropbox mm-hmm. the same. Pubmatic is building out their own infrastructure. The list is growing. Give me your take on trends within IT infrastructure. Yeah, so uh, I think that's probably one of the bigger things that doesn't get a lot of publicity lately. Um, of course, you know, IT always tends to shy towards the shiny new object. And for the last five years or so, it's been the public cloud. Um, but as I, look at, as I look at this, IT performs a function for their organization. And if by moving to the public cloud, you've doubled the cost of performing that function, at some point, management at that company should say, wait a minute, why are we paying twice as much as we need to pay? But ironically, I've gone to many of of the CIOs that we work with, and I've asked them if they could share with me their their process of determining where their workloads run. 
not one of them has a formal process of looking at all the different alternatives. So when they're when they're reading in Forbes and Fortune about how, how all the smart guys are using the public cloud, all of a sudden that becomes effectively a standard. Like we'd be stupid if we didn't go to the public cloud. Now, anytime anybody raises this issue, they're viewed as you know contrary to the public cloud, thinking that it's bad. Quite the opposite. The public cloud has a perfect spot for some workloads, but it's not for all workloads. But what's happening right now is that people think that it's for all workloads so that if you if you challenge that, you're viewed as the bad guy. And so so right now, that's why I've published several blog posts. When we go through a, a real analysis of the alternatives, and there's really only four, four alternatives. They are, you could be on-premises with your old three-tier infrastructure, meaning separate server storage and, and so on. You could be on-premises with hyperconverged like that, which Nutanix sells. You could be in a SaaS environment like ServiceNow or Salesforce, where you're just you know consuming the uh, the application. And number four, you can put your workloads into the public cloud. So there's really only four. And what what we have been telling our our customers is, if you're not looking at all four of them, you're crazy. So what's been happening is that vendors go to the customer and they say, well, we'll do a financial analysis. Well. No customer believes a vendor's financial analysis anymore because they're always self-serving. What we said is, hey, financial is the last part of this equation. There's two other fact sets of factors. The first is operational considerations of the workload and then organizational considerations. It's only when you go through those first two that you can see which ones really fit the workload and then you do the financial analysis. So that's what we're out there espousing right now. But, you know, it's, it's tough because uh, the public cloud has done a great job of marketing. But I don't know, in my life, if, if, uh, if I had the opportunity to pay half the price um, of something that I'm buying, I'd probably look seriously at it. Yeah. But right now, that's, that's not what the guys are doing because it's not what the cool kids are doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. There's always trends and trends hold until they don't. Um, but you're seeing what the call it smart uh, enterprises uh, really looking within. And then, um, you know, you see this life cycle. It's, you start early on the cloud, specifically now, and then you move your way up. And then when you have the resources to actually analyze your situation, um, you then, what you're seeing is a lot of these companies actually go the other way um, and have kind of this multi-hybrid cloud approach. Um, and you're starting to hear that actually, right? I think uh, uh, whether it's Amazon or Microsoft or Google have actually, you know, there's Google Anthos and some other products that they, they believe uh, that could uh, help alleviate or supply some of the multi-cloud concepts. So look, they put their guard down and said, okay, well, maybe there is multi-clouds. Maybe there is hybrid clouds. You know, it's the whole reason why Snowflake kind of exists. Um, yep. And so that, that kind of, and even Snowflake the other day uh, said that they could run, I think, uh, Dell um, on bare metal uh, with, with Snowflake. And I think that was announced like last week or something or, or last month. Uh, and Snowflake forever said, we're not going to do anything outside of the public cloud. So I think that's a, a illustration of, of, you know, someone that um, is clearly saying that, you know, there's going to be multiple clouds uh, in some form or fashion like you uh, reiterated. Yeah. Next is, I guess, it, yeah, go if for I it. Can, if I can add something to that, where Nutanix needs to move, because that's what we're talking about here is, yeah. you know, they've been out there telling everybody that they are a hybrid cloud vendor. And I guess if you strictly define it the way they define it, I would say that's true. But the truth is, is that Nutanix's platform has to have an on-premises aspect of it. I mean, you have to have on-premises, so, so. For sure. Yeah, I know what, one data point I guess they highlighted this quarter was that 50% of all cores, so uh, kind of uh, what's being ran on Nutanix hypervisor, um, up to 57% of all uh, workloads. Um, so you continue to see that number tick higher. And that is, yep. in some ways, what you're saying is the important data point that suggests that 
people are using them as the ultimate uh, infrastructure layer. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So uh, next on, on Nutanix, so clearly you, you picked them to win with, uh, and you've won personally as a, a, a firm, um, known for great products. You know, they've, I think, seven years net promoter scores plus 90. So you have that to sell in terms of products. Um, this past quarter, and just to lay the foundation, they grew annual reoccurring revenue to $1.1 billion, growing 46% year over year. 22,000 customers now, 1,700 have spent a million dollars or more. Like I said before, 57 of customers are, are using Nutanix EHV or AHV, their hypervisor. I will lead mm -hmm. with that and then get to supply chain after this. But what's your pipeline look like in terms of you know, trajectory? How healthy is it? Um, you know, trying to think futuristically as opposed to what has already happened. Sure. So uh, if I look at our business in 2019 and then moving into 2020, we doubled our business. So during the beginning of the pandemic, it didn't negatively impact us at all. We did more of Nutanix business by about a factor of two. Moving from 2020 to 2021, we more than doubled our Nutanix business. Now, I want to point out, however, that during 2020 and the early part of 2021, the vast majority of our Nutanix business, and, it's, and I'm pretty sure it's not just me, but it's across the board, with all, actually all manufacturers, most of us did more business with the customers we were already working with. It wasn't as easy to get new accounts because during the pandemic, the early part, no end user was incented to take any great risk. They were effectively told, hey, just make sure our employees can work from home. So there was no incentive or reward for them to change platforms. So what we found was we did a lot more business with the guys we'd already worked with. That started to change in the second half of 2021 where we started getting new accounts again, because you could start to engage with end users again, you know, face-to-face -face and so on. Our business right now, I'm looking at my pipeline on my board in front of me right now, and I would say it has never been more full. And just yesterday afternoon, um, I got three more opportunities, which are all well over a million dollars. So our business is going crazy with Nutanix to the point where right now I'm in the process of hiring two sales reps. So, you know, Nutanix's results for their third quarter uh, closely parallel what we've been seeing. And I got to tell you, man, we're going to have a, probably our best year ever this quarter. I mean, it, if you know what I mean, it's, it's been, it, we've got so much business to do and I don't think we're unique in that regard. So the business has been good. Yeah, that's, um, it's, it's, it's funny. That's kind of contrary, right. Of, of what uh, I think people are thinking right now. The, um, that's right. And that's, and again, I think if you, if you step back and you actually listen to what uh, was being said, I think, um, you know, they said demand is strong. Macro isn't impacting them. It, this is simply a supply chain issue where, you know, they called out this quarter and for next quarter that some deals have been likely pushed out or not closed due to hardware from kind of third-party vendor equipment being delayed. Um, I think it's important to understand that Nutanix sells software. The software is used to manage the hardware. So if HP or Dell or Supermicro um, or chips have a delay in getting the hardware to a customer, well, then Nutanix cannot build that customer. So to be clear, the company, again, emphasized that without this last quarter, um, without that kind of in this last quarter, the last quarter would have been even stronger. And then next mm -hmm. quarter would have been on track uh, to guidance. And that demand remains strong, that the macros, again, not having an uh, impact on on, on demand that win rates versus their competitors are actually improving that sales productivity met their expectations. Um, and they're not alone. You know, Cisco called this out a couple of weeks back. So did NVIDIA last night. So with that, uh, again, uh, so you're seeing a lot of demand and, and pipeline and record this and record that, um, you know, hearing from the field in terms of supply chain, what are you hearing there? Well, so early on, I'd say about maybe nine months ago, we first heard of a supply chain issue. 
and it was uh, related to network interface cards, NIC cards. And around that time, we saw Nutanix start to ship as a standard uh, NIC card, a 25 gig card rather than a 10 gig card. Now that's where the industry is moving anyway, but you know, most, most end users don't have 25 gig backbone. So you really didn't need it, but these 25 gig cards can auto sense down to 10. So it's, it's kind of like having a card that can go 120, but you know, you're only allowed to go 60. So it can do 120, but you only need it to do 60. So that, so the NIC cards are fine. We're fine. Then it was only yesterday that I heard that all of the configs that we've done for the bigger systems need to be redone and effectively what's happening is that the NIC card is changing again. So I've gotten one quote back and it did not change the delivery date at all. All it did was change the NIC card. So that's what I think Nutanix, uh, Nutanix's supply chain issue is, it's the NIC card. And if you look at uh, Cisco, for example, if you're trying to buy a Cisco switch, you're gonna wait nine months or so. You try to buy an HPE server, you're gonna wait a long time. So I think that right now they're being careful by telling everybody, hey, we do a fair amount of business with HPE. They're having difficulty with getting their stuff shipped. So until that stuff gets, you know, is able to ship, our software can't be built. But we do the vast majority of our business with the super micro version of it, the NX. Mm -hmm. And we haven't seen anything other than this NIC card thing at all. So, you know, when I saw yesterday that they are predicting um, that that is going to impact business, two things came to mind. Number one, it hasn't impacted for me yet. And number two, maybe it will in, in the coming months. I don't know. But, um, you know, Nutanix's availability has been, you know, three to four weeks for delivery on almost everything. So it hasn't been a problem up to now um, for us. Got it. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. think, I, again, if you hear some of the commentary from NVIDIA and and Cisco, I think um, uh, it's just that, um, that there's, there's still bottlenecks from uh, some of the lockdowns. And uh, over the next quarter or two, you should start to see some of that alleviate. Um, but again, it's, it's separating what's in their control and what's out of their control. And some of the key points is really, again, around sales productivity and, and demand gen and, and stuff like that. And then talking to someone like you and understanding what's your pipeline and thought process around all of this. You know, last little thing, um, VMware, you know, VMware and, and Nutanix for everybody is, is essentially goes toe to toe in terms of uh, kind of this duopoly inside of um, um, uh, HCI, hyperconverged infrastructure um, mm -hmm. and acquired by Broadcom. It's been, they've been talking about this for several days now. And, um, you know, your, your take on, on overall implications of what that means, uh, anything you don't add on to, I know we spoke about it before, but what, what are your thoughts on, on what that means for Nutanix from a competitive dynamic standpoint? Sure. So, you're right. The biggest competitor originally in the HCI space was VMware. And Nutanix does very well against VMware because it's a superior technology. Lately, the biggest competitor to Nutanix is what we talked about before, the public cloud. You know, just the automatic reflex into the public cloud. That's a much bigger competitor to Nutanix than, um, than VMware, really. Um, as far as the acquisition goes, you know, if you look historically, when companies have bought other companies to become bigger, usually that creates a market opportunity for everybody else because there's going to be confusion. I was part of an acquisition um, years ago when Compaq and HP came together. Hmm. And I remember I was a manager at that time and everybody effectively ducked. So no one was visible because they didn't want to be part of the riff. And you know, so as a result, productivity plunged. Nobody was doing any active, uh, active selling. They were all just trying to cover their butts so that they didn't lose their jobs. Um, I don't see how it's going to hurt Nutanix at all. 
you know, they've got a superior technology to VMware today. They're going to have a superior technology when VMware becomes part of Broadcom. And I, I look at it as opportunity for Nutanix to maybe pull some good sales talent away from VMware. You know, with the hiring of, uh, of their new CEO and, and several other uh, C-level people from VMware, yeah. to me, it's a matter of time before some of the really, you know, rock star sales guys at VMware look at it and say, why are we, why are we going to hang around here when it's going to just be nothing for a few, you know, six months or so? Why don't we go back over to Nutanix where all of our old buddies are and let's, uh, let's you know, light the, light the candle on that rocket ship. And I think that's probably what's going to happen. Yeah, it's a pretty good point. I didn't think of that. Um, yeah. Cool. You know, yeah, my, I mean, just my quick take on that is historically what I've seen when a conglomerate acquires another company, um, you, you know, typically what tends to happen, you alluded to it is, you know, that company that got acquired tends to struggle because they are just mm -hmm. one of all of the many solutions and products um, that are out there. You know, uh, side note for anyone that listens to stuff from us is this happened to OmniCell and Beckton Dickinson in the health me medication management space where, you know, OmniCell really uh, thrived due to the acquisition of their competitor by a conglomerate. And I think that's that's the same because you, you get this kind of um, one is they, they take their eye off the ball from things like product and, and resources. Um, and then you have, again, the the uh, that time period, that gap between when the deal actually closes and who's actually leading and writing the ship, um, whether it's two months or six months, the longer it lasts, the better it is for the competitors. Um, so that's really that, you know, we'll end there. We've been talking a lot. I know you, you have a busy, busy Hey, hey Sean, I, yeah. I got one more point I want to make about that. Yeah, go so, for it. So when you're out in the field here, you see customers who pay a lot of money to VMware. And the majority of it is for their virtualization software. And Nutanix years ago went out there and was, was telling everybody, hey, if you'll deploy our hypervisor called AHV, you don't have to pay VMware anymore. And that works. You, you hinted at it. I think it was, what did you say, 57% of the most yep. uh, in the current quarter. The vast majority of my customers are deploying the uh, AHV virtualization, not VMware. And so you're seeing the bill that they're paying to VMware go down. So if you, if you look at it, VMware might be very smart to get themselves acquired as their core product becomes really a feature, not a product anymore. Hmm. So, you know, just, just my take on it. Um, as I sell Nutanix, um, I'm seeing AHV be the preferred um, hypervisor, which is included for free with every Nutanix node. So why pay VMware? So right, anyway. yeah, that makes yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Cool, yeah. great, Tim. Thanks for coming on short notice. Um, you know, feel better, and I know you have a busy day on top of that. So um, your pipeline is full stacked and and ready to uh, uh, conquer. So glad your business is doing well. We'll catch up again, Tim Joyce, Roundstone Solutions.